time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. On the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, it's always good to talk to you. Good morning, Tom and everybody. And it's always fun. It's always fun when we're joined by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, welcome. Good morning, everyone. Hey, Jan. Hi. And as we uh, as we begin our uh, our audio play date, um, <laughs> we uh, like to start with a few quotes, and and of course, I always start with a finish the quote. Um, this one. Uh, the life of the nation is secure only while the nation is what? How would you finish this quote? Only um, when the nation united? Yeah, yeah, I would, that's my response. That's a good one, Jan. Yeah. Well, the original quote was, The life of a nation is secure only while the nation is honest, truthful, and virtuous. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that must have been uh, 1789. Someone wrote that about that time. Well, you're you're cl- you're close on the time uh, on the timeline. That was Frederick Douglass. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> His July Fourth speech that he made. I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, well, he told him right, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> But uh, here's here's one that was kind of interesting. Um, there will be no normally functioning economy if our hospitals are overwhelmed and thousands of Americans of all ages, including our doctors and nurses, lay dying because we have failed to do what's necessary to stop the virus. Uh, Dr. Fauci? Y- you would think. I would think, yeah. I think, yes. Uh, no, I think it was one of the governors. I was going to say a really wild one. I was going to say Lindsey Graham. No, but it is kind of a wild one. It was Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming. Oh, yeah. The third-ranking Republican in the House is publicly taking on President Donald Trump, and unlike uh, with most of his other critics, the president seems wary to hit back. Cheney, who is the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, Uh, has broken with Trump on policy before, but she has become increasingly outspoken in recent months. This week, she demanded to know why Trump was unaware of intelligence pointing to Russian bounties on American and coalition troops in Afghanistan. And last week, she indirectly took a swipe at Trump by tweeting a picture of her father wearing a face mask with the hashtag Real men wear masks. <laughs> Through, throughout the coronavirus pandemic, Cheney has taken a different tone than the president. When Trump claimed he had total authority to lift restrictions uh, governors imposed on their states to limit the spread of the virus, Cheney hit back on Twitter. The federal government does not have absolute power. Cheney also pushed back when Trump was considering ending lockdowns for the sake of the economy in March. How significant is this kind of opposition to the president from within the Republican Party? I think it's very significant. I, again, I've always argued that the, the real challenge to Trump is because going to come not from Democrats, but from Republicans, who at some point will say they've had enough. And you're seeing a little bit of that. I mean, I, I just saw a story on Facebook here that a significant number of Republicans are not going to the national, uh, Republican senators are not going to the national convention because of concerns about coronavirus and it's just a, it's just a sign of breaking away in some yeah. ways yeah. but but that's uh that's an honorable reason for not going oh, uh, so. you got the health authorities reason. around the world that says beware of coronaviruses some people take that to heart and yet they want to be uh, loyal to the president but they have to choose between one or the other and we yeah, all yeah. would go through that process that you would have to make that choice is absolutely outrageous. I mean, come on, really. That you know, this guy, you got to choose to make yourself to risk making yourself sick. Yeah, you got to pick ego. I, I, public Henry, health over party loyalty. Henry, right. Henry, what's what's mm. what's wrong with that picture? Yeah. And again, I, 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 I mean, I understand the, the medical reason, but I think there's, there's more to it than that. I think that what's going to happen, from my perspective, is once the Trump-backed candidates start losing, then I think you're going to see more and more Republicans sort of back away. I think that they've, they've had the loyalty because 
So far in primaries, generally the Trump back candidates have done pretty well. But once that changes, I think you, the the dam may burst. I mean, it may not be that big, but I think you'll see a stampede of sorts going the other direction. I mean, I could see being loyal to a policy, uh, you know, a policy position. I could see being loyal to uh, intelligent intelligence. Uh, this this is just. I'm sorry, I am completely flummoxed. By well, and, and, yeah, but, and that's but happened either. to some Republican governors around the country, too, who were um, more than happy for their own uh, political reasons to start pushing to open things back up and, and to get the economy going again, and then found themselves facing, you know, spikes of the disease and having to walk it back a little bit. You know, famously, the, the Texas governor has now... Uh, for the first time since the pandemic started, um, required people to wear masks in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the worst state in the union right now is Arizona, where the president did his, you know, that rally thing. What was it last week? Um, oh, you know, it's just I I just I don't understand the failure of intelligence in this whole situation from the White House, the, the failure of, of um, I mean, you know, it just, the economy is certainly not going to benefit if the whole damn country is sick. I mean, we're, we're heading close to 10% of the population. Well, and that's exactly what Liz Cheney said, was there will be no normally functioning economy if our hospitals are overwhelmed and people are laying sick and dying yeah even if things are not really open nobody's going to want to go there if if they're afraid of getting sick right but guys you got to remember that uh we're doing more testing therefore we're doing more discovery but the death rate is not rising the death rate is not rising of course we got the most technology in the world we can do more testing than anybody in the world we can find out whether henry had or has covid and um, which I don't have it, and because I've been tested, right. nobody else has that capacity. So yeah, actually, the, uh, one, think, one of the one of the most striking things about this is that compared to other nations, we are doing worst among nations. We in Brazil and maybe one or two others. I mean, compared to, to, to the European Union, compared to much of Asia, they have done dramatically better in handling this than we have, and we're supposed to be the most advanced country in the world, best medical. Uh, Which we are. Resources and all that. But it certainly isn't playing out very well for us. No, well, I mean, the benefit of, of increased tests should be that it helps us develop a national policy that mm-hmm. respects the reality of the situation, not that it makes Donald Trump look bad or something. I mean, um, the, the testing, the more there is, the better, even though we're, he's wrong when he says we're doing more than anybody else uh, internationally. But, I mean, <laughs> the idea that more information about this is somehow damaging to the overall consideration situation is just again i I, i've I've got extreme words going through my mind today but (laughs) (laughs) but dan you may continue to talk i listen when you talk but you got to remember that less than one percent of the people who contact COVID dies okay so does that mean it's okay Good. That's only I one. Know that. No, only a hundred. But, but look, Americans we, we have incidents of people 
More more people die from abortions than that. More oh my God, Henry! Say, come on. Saying 130,000 people. It's just. Oh my God! I can't, I cannot believe you're going there too. I mean. Well, we 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 got we got people die at that rate every year just of the simple flu. What? No, have actually, you looked up actually, the, the, yeah. the flu numbers for this high. year, Henry? We're twice Pardon? that now already. I think we're at least twice that. Well, and and then the question the the question becomes: Had we done absolutely nothing at all in terms of staying home and social distancing and those kinds of things, what would the numbers be? We've seen the numbers start going hypothetical. Yeah, but we get away from the theoretical. But we're but we're getting some um, affirmation of that by seeing where places have begun to open and perhaps too soon without enough testing, without enough contact tracing, and without, most importantly, treatments and vaccine, um, we're seeing the numbers start going back up again. So there is some affirmation that that's, you know, a, a legitimate concern, I think. And Well, uh, you're, you're right. And I, I apologize for being argumentative on this because I know you have good points Henry, here, but I, nevertheless, I, at what point? Manager, I think, for good cause. Henry, I think uh, what what Jan and and other Trump critics <laughs> are saying <laughs> is that um, <laughs> is that um, you know I, that the president could have and should be doing more in terms of um, leadership and 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 not trying to bulldoze his way through what is clearly a public health crisis you know he's 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 trying to he's trying to wing it and it's um it's not working for him and it's it's because he always tries to do everything shoot from the hip instead of as you would do henry because i've gotten to know you pretty well um following the lead of uh, of the science right that's right. I mean, yeah, that's why I respect, I've always respected Henry's arguments, because, Henry, yeah. you, you are a scientist. You were a scientist in your work, in your career, and you are such a uh, supporter of edu- public education for children and everything, so I know where your values lie. And, it, and I always have problems when you get on subjects like this on, some, on Tom's show, because the things that, um, that end up being defended from the right are, are anti-science and anti-fact and anti-truth, and it doesn't jive with how I experience you, Henry. I, I don't and, get it. And, it. and it's interesting, and, and, I, and I have to say I sort of uh, understand and respect um, Henry's steadfast um, support of the presidency and whoever's in that office, because I was raised that way, too. I, yes. I, I, under, I, I understand I, that that default position of saying we support the president and it's um but but he uh but he causes his own problems and we'll get into that and uh, and we'll take a look at some local short 
shortcomings in uh, and, and politics. I don't disagree, guys. I, I don't disagree. Sometimes I get perturbed, and I eat my own poop. Uh, when sometimes <laughs> when you we, we have to yeah. take a sh- we have to take a short <laughs> break and uh, consider it a palate refresher, and we'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. In just a little while, you folks are going to have the pleasure not only hearing the songs of the star of the program and all, but you're also going to have the pleasure of hearing and watching and seeing in person the gentlemen and ladies who have been supplying the fine music behind the curtain this evening. It's a wonderful orchestra. I love to hear them play. But while you would possibly never even consider counting how many pieces there are in the band, it so happens there are about, I think, 26, 27 members of the orchestra, the stage orchestra here. The only thing is they used to play in Hollywood. And when they were there in Hollywood, California, there were a 65-piece orchestra. And when they were hired by the International Hotel to come here and play, they all got on a a bus, all 65 of them with their instruments and everything, and headed out for Las Vegas. The only thing was, when they crossed the Nevada state line, they had fruit inspection, and this is all slack. Here are some most happy fellas, the four lads for Ford. Standing on the corner, watching all the Fords go by. 
This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue with Armchair Politics. Our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by a regular contributor to the show and editor of East Village Magazine, Jan Worth Nelson. Um, I'm going to move on to the uh, other quote I was going to try and get to in the last, uh, in the last segment. Uh, it is, uh, I've never had to write a campaign plan around the impact of a pandemic. I never expected to write a campaign plan that called for avoiding voters face-to-face. <laughs> wow. Uh, Joe Biden? Was that Trump? No, no, it was a little closer to home than that. Michigan Democratic campaign consultant Joe DeSano noted there was a built-in advantage for incumbents and first-time candidates who were well-known, but no one was certain how to move forward. Four weeks before the August 4th primary and four months before the November 3rd general election, the campaign season in Michigan and across the U.S. is shot through with uncertainty. My question is, has area media done enough to connect candidates and voters, especially new candidates? Hmm. Well, I'll say, except for your show, Tom, probably not. Again, one, one, I've said this before for many times, one great service that the Sumner Show does is you, you, you touch base with every candidate with substantially lengthy interviews so people have a chance to get to know them. Uh, and in these days, especially when there aren't candidate forums going on, as there normally are or often are, uh, this may be the only resource that people have got. Yeah, but there are other things that uh, supersede <clears throat> candidates right now, and that's what Antifa and Black Lives Matter is keeping people up close to, they're keeping those uh, issues up close to their chest. And then there's the COVID thing. They don't have time for other stuff. And they're preoccupied. And that's troubling. That's troubling, I, and I'm really hoping to hear from, from Jan on this subject because I think East Village Magazine does a better job of, of covering some of the uh, uh, kitchen table issues uh, locally than, um, than other media in the area. But um, is, is this a problem? Are we, are we so consumed with the big stories of the day that we don't get to the everyday stories? You know, if you're, if you're asking for my input, first of all, I want to say my blood pressure, I took my blood pressure pill since uh, the opening years. So. Oh, good, good. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I would say, yeah, it has been challenging for us. And as you know, we don't have any full-time writers at all. So uh, under the best of circumstances, our ability to cover what we always wish we could cover is, is somewhat uh, limited, and that's a heartache for all of us. And, you know, it keeps me up at night, and Tom Travis, too, I know. Um, but we, one idea, we, we were just putting in a proposal to somebody for some money recently, and I counted up the number of stories that we had done about the coronavirus alone since uh, in 2020, and it was about 100. We'd, just with our little staff, we had done about 100 stories that had coronavirus connections, okay? 
So, I mean, that really blew my mind to actually count those up. I'm talking about online that we did. Um, because that every, every coronavirus story, of course, has an effect on all of us. But also, that's one less hour or two or three or four hours that could be available to cover uh, other stories. This is one. This is one of those times where it just blasts through everything else. And, and uh, so, yes, it has been a challenge for us, and I know for the other media as well. How do you decide? You know, how, you don't like. And then when the protests happened, Tom Travis alone covered four of those, and then he was doing follow-up interviews with uh, Chief Swanson and Dewan Robinson, the Black Lives Matter <coughs> uh, person, and. Um, so, really important stories, and then what else? Now, the, the, for instance, the Flint City budget is on the table right now being discussed, and that has great implications. Um, yes, I, that's a long answer, but I would certainly say, yes, it has been a challenge, and we've struggled to try to decide, you know, what our priorities are. So, I yield the floor. And the... And this is a serious matter, too, because we don't know who the enemy is. We don't know Black Lives or Antifa. We have no way of sorting those people out. We are disintegrating from the inside out, and we don't know who who, who these people are. Well, we and know yet, who Dewan uh, Robinson is. It appears. Is. Yes, he's, we do. But, he's a, he's okay. a uh, hardworking Flint native single father, so he's not, I mean, if you yeah. question, we know, we know, Henry, we know a lot about our local protests, and I, I'm proud of the fact that these protests in Flint were positive. Uh, and oh yeah, uh, these were, these are not out of towners here. These uh, in, and uh, so I think you're trying to make a larger point about the national scene, but certainly locally, this has been a heartfelt, locally based grassroots response to what's going on. So. I, that's my view about what's happening here. But uh, I think the protests are going to increase involvement in, in, in conventional politics, oh. too. I think there's going to be an overlap of, at least I hope, many of those folks who are protesting and marching and going to rallies, I do hope that there's an increase in turnout. And I think that I, my guess is that's what's going to happen. Maybe not everybody, but I think there's going to be a substantial increase. And even without the, the traditional forums and all of that, I, I get the feeling that people are, at least enough people, are tuning in in a way they hadn't quite before. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe a, a significant increase in turnout for August and perhaps even November as well. I think we well, saw we some evidence of that. Well, we the police, right? Well, well I really wish the they hadn't used, come up with that phrase. I mean, <laughs> that, uh, that whole phrase is just so damaging, it's, in my view. It's Jan, you're breaking up. Yeah. Oh, I am? Okay. Oh. Yeah, I didn't hear what you had to say, Jan. Um, I just was... Is that any better? I put yeah. myself up. Yes. Yeah, it sounds better. Yes, it is. Um, I just... Oh, now it's back to breaking up again, Jan. Sorry. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, but I'm going to take adv- I'm going to take advantage of... Uh, <laughs> the shot that uh, Paul set up for me to let people know. I, I set out uh, a few weeks ago to try and get every candidate facing a challenge in the August primary on the show. And with the exception of uh, a couple of local uh, county board seats, I've uh, pretty much accomplished that. 
and um, I'm going to be rerunning those, repackaging those shows starting July 16th through the 28th, which will leave enough time to get your ballots back in before the August 4th uh, primary deadline for those that are mailing in their votes. Um, and, and I've repackaged them in such a way so that every day is a different race. We have the 34th District State House seat, the uh, 48th, the 50th, and um, the uh, um, two Republicans that are running in the primary to take on uh, Dan Kildee in the fall. Um, all three of the candidates that are running in the primary for Genesee County Sheriff. We have uh, the prosecutor, the uh, a couple of the judge seats that are open seats where there are multiple people running in the primary. And those are all going to be grouped by the offices starting July 16th, which is a week from tomorrow, through the 28th. And um, anyway, so if people want to do their homework, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> and, and while I'm on vacation, people can do their uh, primary voting homework. Um, anyway, um, moving on uh, so we can get to some of the other things. Um, Mayor Sheldon Neely says pop-up parties have been drawing sometimes hundreds of young people in recent weeks and says additional police officers will be on duty, uh, would be on duty during the Independence Day weekend. Um, Thursday, July 2nd, he said in a, a news release that gatherings of more than 100 people are not allowed to prevent the spread of coronavirus under Governor Gretchen Whitmer's executive order and said no festivals or other large gatherings would be permitted in the city while the order is in place. City um, release says there have been a series of pop-up parties in parking lots, parks, and streets, prompting several actions, including increased patrols. Michigan State Police and the University of Michigan Flint were also uh, working in conjunction with the city to increase uh, police presence where and when needed. Um, enforcement was uh, targeted toward parties with a focus on open intoxicants in public spaces and gatherings of more than 100 people, especially late at night and early in the morning. The city's release said that Flint would support all people's ability to peacefully gather, including to protest. It says closing hours for city parks, 10 p.m., will be uh, posted and enforced. Um, what's more affected by that action, public health or crime? Hmm. I'm going to guess public health. It, it, uh, I mean, it, it's purely a guess. I mean, who knows? But clear, clearly, those kind uh, of crime parties, is a part of public health. Well, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true, Henry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, I wonder if that isn't um, maybe an an added benefit or an added bonus of taking action under the the guise of uh, COVID nineteen to um, break gangs up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's always been... Can you hear me now? Am yeah. I coming through okay? Yeah, you sound yeah. good. Okay. Um, it's, there's been resistance in some parts of the country to making gun violence a public health issue. Wouldn't it be interesting if it's COVID that pushes that over? Or all oh. of this, you fund the police, all this stuff. That's true. That would push into the public understanding a little bit more. That gun violence is a public gun violence is a public health issue. Uh, someone had proposed uh, that that be the case. 
uh, from Chicago. I think it's the Chicago. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. District I heard that about Chicago. Well, Chicago saw a holiday weekend like they haven't seen since the days of Al Capone. Yeah, What's, uh, 17, 17 murders over the weekend, I think, and I forgot how many shootings. Uh, it was it was over a hundred. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. Just for curiosity, I now I I I wonder. Where does where does Flint stand in terms of let's say the murder rate and so forth? I've not seen any numbers for the year. My gut reaction is it seems it seems a little lower only because maybe because the stories are getting lost among the other coronavirus stories. But yeah, you uh, know, I think I compare, if you, I wonder how we're doing. Uh, you know, that's that's interesting because Flint is uh, kind of a statistical anomaly. Um, I did an interview a few years ago uh, with the uh, head of the Center for Homicide Research in uh, Minneapolis who took a, a special look at Flint and said that we bucked the trend, that, that most homicides are domestic and they happen, they tend to happen, at least in the north, um, during the winter months when people are, are closed in, um, January and February and so on. Mm. And... Um, and and Flint, for some reason, showed very little activity with regard to shootings in those typically busy months, hmm. and um, and and I think it's interesting. And this is completely anecdotal, guys. But in my watching of of local newscasts, it seems like violent crime in Flint has started to go up as things have begun to open up again. That yeah, for some reason yeah, we yeah, seem to be pretty well behaved when we stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does that say about Flint? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, for one, that that we behave a little differently than other parts of the country, because in yeah. other parts of the country, staying at home is a death sentence in some houses where there's domestic violence. Right. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the increase of domestic violence nationwide because of the. Uh, quarantine and so forth that's true hmm. yeah gretchen gretchen has talked about that uh, as well and the steps that she's taking to reduce that kind of activity in homes yeah yeah uh whitmer uh that's a sidebar here but whitmer i think is looking pretty good in terms of her having uh insisted on policies that saved our lives it seemed to have saved our lives i'm I mean, Michigan's looking pretty. De I know our num our daily numbers have increased uh, of cases lately, but the deaths finally we hit no deaths. I think on Sunday. Yeah, and yeah, I saw that. But in a way, I think that um, Jan, that's an unintended affirmation um, for the governor that you know being a little strict <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> is like probably it. good for for the uh, for the state, and as we begin to open. Um, those numbers are starting to go back up a little bit. And she has said, just in the last couple of days, that, you know, if that, if that curve continues to go up from, yeah. from the flattening that had occurred, that she'll go right back into it. Yeah, I, I fear that, too. Yeah. But just, that's, <clears throat> that's a sidebar in a bit, an interesting <clears throat> one. This whole question of whether violence, what if, what if it comes out that violence that everybody being cooped up leads to violence all around the country. 
country at the same time that we're saying defund police. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's. You I know. think we'll rethink that later. We will. Yeah, we're, we will rethink we're that. living in some very strange times. Yes, Great we times. are. And here's Henry. Just just to say what I was trying to say when I broke up earlier. I, I personally think that the phrase defund police is so poorly chosen as a policy or as a motto directive. Uh, you know, it's, it's like somebody should know their, should understand how to say things, to motivate things a little different. That one is quite awful, my personal view. I understand the ideas behind it, but... Oh, the phrase. Yeah, I, I agree, Jan. I think it's the one, the one, the worst slogan for what for relatively yeah. decent ideas. But the sl- it's so easy to use the slogan against. Well, the the problem with that, change. the problem with that is when you pick a phrase like "Black Lives Matter," yeah. that should and can mean the same thing to everyone. Right. But defund the police doesn't. Everybody and hears something different. One letter, and you've got defend the police, and there, here we go with you know with our divisive polarizing again. Um, it's just it's it's too easy for that to. How do you think the police departments feel? And the individuals who work for police departments, they no longer have the esteem and right. uh, feeling of going in every day and doing the right thing. I, I think that, I think a lot there of cops are some that do. I think right. a lot of cops, especially uh, some of the ones that that actually represent what we hope they all stand for, um, feel that that they're under siege. No, I'm sure they. I'm sure the good cops do. I mean, I, I would think that's and um, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I think that the good cops, and there's certainly many of them, have to feel that kind of pressure with, with what's going on these days. Well, here's here's something that uh, that that caught my attention. Uh, the Michigan Office of Secretary of State has filed a notice of appeal in a Michigan Court of Claims case that put Flint attorney Chris Christensen back on the August ballot in the race for Genesee Circuit Court. The filing with the Michigan Courts uh, of Appeals did not include briefs indicating what the state is requesting from the court, and a spokeswoman for uh, the Secretary of State did not immediately comment on the appeal notice. The The Secretary of State had initially disqualified Christensen from the ballot because he used the address of his law office in Flint rather than the address where he is registered to vote in Grand Blank on nominating petitions. On June 10th, that decision was invalidated when Court of Claims uh, Judge Michael J. Kelly ordered the Secretary of State to accept the petitions. Uh, County Clerk John Gleason said Thursday that it's unclear what the notice of appeal will mean to the election. I don't expect to change the ballot, he said. Uh, The Secretary of State knows these ballots are gone. The uh, Election Commission approved the ballot, including Christensen, as a candidate following Kelly's ruling. Why is this not considered resolved and now just simply up to the voters? Uh, I missed the fight. Yeah, again, since the ballot... Yeah, that's... To bring stability to this issue, that's... It must be that way. It must go that way, as you suggested. Then it's resolved. And and yeah. you know that yeah. in the in the decision, in the ruling by uh, Michael J. Kelly, he looked at the wording of the uh, of the law that was being invoked to get Chris uh, knocked off the ballot to begin with. And and it 
it it simply said um, address. It didn't it didn't specify yeah, that the, it's the home address. The, right. Yeah, there was there was no definition of the address where you vote or or something like that. And Chris 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 uh, Christensen said on my show a week or so ago that you know when he filled out those forms um his office address was the headquarters for the campaign and he thought that was completely valid mm-hmm. and so uh, there wasn't no guys i can't i can't use such a uh, ridiculous excuse like that and yet i'm for the, this issue being resolved a person knows that you always have to list the uh, the residence from which you vote, your voting precinct, is your legitimate address. It's been that way since 1789. But according to Michael J. Kelly, um, it it may have been practiced that way, but it doesn't say that. The law didn't say that. Okay. Anyway. Okay, but it was a technical issue, and it's over, and I think it's the judge's... Uh, Discretion. Well, it should yeah. it it should be resolved, but for some reason the Secretary of State is uh, you know continuing to pursue it. You know what I'm oh. wondering is, is is Genesee County somewhat unique or unusual in having almost every election <laughs> there's some dispute like this where somebody gets yeah. kicked off the ballot, placed back on the ballot, and there's a squabble about whether they filled out the forms right for technical reasons. Well, yeah, it, I mean, but it seemed like in recent years almost every election there's some issue like this. Uh, and I'm wondering, are we unique or unusual? I mean, do other counties go through the same process, or are we just open to this kind of squabbling about? Well, I wonder the if the city of Flint hasn't skewed the numbers a little. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the reason I ask that is, um, and and this question is really for Jan and Paul. Have you received your ballots yet? Because they were supposed to be mailed out uh, by the end of last week. I have not. No, I haven't either. And of course, I was going to say this whole Christensen thing has a bearing on what on that subject too, um, because supposedly, according to Inez Brown, the that led to a delay in yes. in the ballots being issued, and um, the the city. I mean, it's such a mess. It seems I agree with Paul. It's like, a huge story. Uh, uh, Tom Travis just wrote a story about. Um, the ACLU is calling to, into question what's happening at the city clerk's office with um, these ballots. Where are they? You know, and um, how many? You know, now we we had an opportunity for all of us to request absentee ballots, as you all, as you know, and we've been having to, we have had trouble getting any numbers out of the city clerk's office about how many of those they received. And you know, also, I was somewhat alarmed to see. Those were supposed to be sent out. Actually, June twenty fifth was supposed to be the deadline. Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's saying, Inez Brown is saying that they were delayed partly because of that Chris that Christensen delay, that they had to redo the ballots or something. At first, they thought they took them off the ballot. Now they put them back on or something. Mm-hmm. And you know, the ACLU has issued a statement. In fact, I've got it. We're, Tom's writing a story about it right now, but they've issued a statement um, saying. The clerk's office should be open immediately and remain open during the pandemic, basically. And um, y- y- you can get all of this from Tom's story when it comes out. And they're, they're supposed to 
process all outstanding applications for absentee ballots by the close of business Friday. So, sure where okay. they came up with the date, and uh, then to process all applications that you receive between now and election day, including mailing an absentee ballot to every eligible voter who requests one within 24 hours of you receive the application. Uh, we got to take a break here. We'll be right back with more. Armchair Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. 
we haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you, could you be happy if your name were This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our uh, weekly roundtable. Uh, our regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, along with uh, the, the third chair and a, a frequent contributor, East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Welcome back, everybody. Good to be Thank here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. A uh, federal judge on Monday dismissed a lawsuit backed by Michigan Republicans that attempted to overturn a 2018 ballot measure that changed the process of drawing the state's political districts. The Michigan Republican Party and Tony Daunt, executive director of the conservative Michigan Freedom Fund, filed separate lawsuits that were later combined to argue their constitutional rights were violated by rules prohibiting political actors from joining a new voter-approved redistricting commission. U.S. District Judge Janet Neff ruled in favor of Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson on Monday, July 6th, determining the plaintiffs failed to provide plausible evidence for their claims. How soon will this redistricting commission take charge of the, the apportionment process, and how much will it affect future campaigns? Uh, I think they've got to wait for the census, for one thing. they still got to get the commission together, but it'll have an enormous effect. I think once we get past 2022 and beyond, it'll have enormous effect for the next decade, as it has for the last decade when it was done 10 years ago. So, no, I think it's a very important kind of process we're, we're in the middle of. As I say, the, the, the COVID-19 thing has, has backed up the census a bit, so those numbers will be a little later in coming in than usual, but... I think it's going to be an enormously important process. Uh, yeah, well, I, mean, I don't think. <coughs> go ahead. I Henry. don't think that much will change from the way it was before we had uh, the ruling or the election that uh, uh, changed all of that for uh, this process. <coughs> I think that things you will not notice much of anything. People will still argue the points, one side to the other. It's. Uh, it's something that there has to be absolute dominance of one side over the other. Will we, Otherwise, con- will we continue to have maybe maybe not as many, but but certainly a lot of districts that skew Republican versus districts that skew Democrat, um, regardless of redrawing the lines without the uh, the the parties. Uh, overseeing it? I think that'll still be true because of where people tend to live. And people do tend to divide themselves by party in terms of of location. So that'll still be there. But it'll be less true, I think. And I think one real effect is that it may minimize the divisiveness we see. And I say that because right now you tend to get strongly liberal Democrats and strongly conservative Republicans 
and not too much in the middle. So the real election tends to be the primary, and the the real fear for a politician is not so much losing in the general election, but facing a challenge in the primary. And that means that if that if you want to cooperate with the other party, you, you're you're seen as a bit of a traitor. So I I know I think it could have some very substantial effects in the long run. But but again, I think we're still going to see a lot of one one party districts because of certain areas by residents by residents tend to be Republican. Other ones tend to be Democratic. Well, uh, cities, major cities, are always more likely to be Democratic. Yeah, because yeah. of the distribution of people by color. Do you think we'll see uh, so, nothing do, change there? Do you think we'll see the lines drawn by uh, 2022? Uh, all I can say is I hope so. I mean it it should be done by then. There have been some years in the past when it wasn't done in the appropriate year. And like I say the the, the census delay and the COVID-19 issue may muddy the process, but all I can say is I hope so. But it may be it may be it may be uh uh Maybe a tight, a, a tight, uh, tight gate to get through. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. Well, we're pic- go now, ahead. aren't we? I mean, it f- just feels like we're really struggling. Yeah. To <laughs> assure ourselves that our electoral process is going to be okay. And guys, I predicted there would be no change. We're still going to go on and seek advantage if you belong to. Of the Republican Party, you're going to seek the advantages that best position you to win. And if you're a Democrat, you're going to do the same thing, uh, hopefully permissible by law. But you should not do something surreptitiously right. or uh, that's illegal. And, and right. the illegal thing is all we need to do is not try to change people's behavior, but to make sure that they're legal. You know, doing all that, you know. And you can't change people's character. Right, right. A petition, well, uh, a petition to repeal the emergency law Governor Gretchen, uh, Gretchen Whitmer is using to manage the coronavirus pandemic will be on the streets in Michigan within a couple of days. A spokesman for the group backing the peti- uh, petition said this on Monday. Uh, Fred um, Zolak, a uh, spokesman for Unlock Michigan, set out the uh, signature collection plans minutes after the Board of State canvassers gave unanimous approval to the form and wording of the group's initiative to repeal the Emergency Powers of Governor Act of 1945. The governor has called the petition drive irresponsible and dangerous as coronavirus cases are on the increase in Michigan. Is this initiative likely to make it on the ballot, and is it likely to get voter approval? Hmm. I'm going to guess... No, on both, and the reason I say that is I think it's going to be tough to get signatures in this environment. You know, there's there's not the same kind of festivals and art fairs and county fairs going on where you could gather signatures quite so easily. So that's going to be a little tougher. And if you take a look at at uh, at least so far the 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 polling on Whitmer and and the the reaction to her 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 her, her movement. I, I I think that support is still there. Now it may it may fade, but at least yeah. right now I, I'd go no on both of those. I think. Last I heard, she had like over seventy percent support yeah. uh, for her actions. Is that still roughly? Yeah, I think that's the last. Yeah, it's in that ballpark. Last numbers I've seen, so it's remaining yeah. fairly strong. Um, 
And again, there's, there's some stories coming out saying that those actions have saved tens of thousands of lives in Michigan by somebody's estimate or somebody's survey. Well, on Wednesday, Governor Gretchen Whitmer ordered bars in South and Central Michigan to halt indoor service, saying the step was needed to control an increase in the spread of the coronavirus. The change was to take effect at 11 p.m. This was last Wednesday and applies to licensed establishments that earn more than 70 percent of their gross receipts from alcohol sales. Only in the northern lower peninsula and the upper peninsula can indoor service continue in bars under the governor's order. The governor also signed a package of bills allowing cocktails to go at bars and restaurants, which he said would help these businesses serve more Michiganders during this time. The move follows an outbreak in which more than 100 cases of COVID-19 have been linked to Harper's Bar in East Lansing, popular with MSU students. Are people too impatient for us to be able to open back up safely? <laughs> that's how it looks, doesn't it? Yeah, nationwide yeah. it looks like that. Exactly. I think that's God-given too. <laughs> well, I think if it's. You, I think it's. You, I think there's something rooted in Americans. I do too. <laughs> yeah, it may be. Whatever it, it is. is, it may be. Again, I'm struck by the fact that ever, many other countries have, have been able to handle this much better than we have, and we are relatively unique in, in, in the, the way the coronavirus numbers have been shooting up. Ourselves, Brazil, and a couple of other countries uh, are, are relatively alone in, seeing the, in failing to flatten the curve. Ironically, thank you. Ironically, we have a lower population density than most of the countries in the world. That's true, Henry, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now stop and think about that social distancing. Other people are more crowded together because they have no place to go. But the United right. States has from the Atlantic to the Pacific and from the Great Lakes to the Gulf. But we're, but we're reluctant to obey social distancing directives yeah. Yeah. and the wearing of masks. It's... It's it's almost yeah. like uh, there's something built into our DNA that just says we're going to do whatever we want to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm laughing. I don't I don't know why I'm laughing because it's not funny. I mean, it does seem that you know one of the great parts about America, American the American psyche is sort of you know rugged individualism. I mean that uh, we have taken pride in that, and now here we are at a point where the whole concept of cooperation uh, really, really has to come to the fore. And it's almost like we don't quite know how to do it. And when we try to do it, or when we're told to do it, we feel like we're losing something. We feel like, you know, uh, it's just, it's a really fascinating time in the country. And not just fascinating, I mean, it's deadly because of the results of, of it. But Americans have not been that great always on the cooperative end of the of the continuum, have we? Well, I well, think certainly it's not the now. Tyranny, it's the tyranny of the I. Yeah. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Other countries don't have that. Oh, they have a tyranny, but the I may turn out to be the worst thing for government or for... I for, hear you. 
yeah, uh, I think I think we have to operate uh, the I. I think it goes something like this. I'm I'm happy to cooperate as long as I get to do what I want to do. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and uh, what I want to do right now is take a short break and, and go to the uh, top of the hour ID, and then we'll return with the second half of Armchair Politics with uh, Roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter joined by East Village Magazine uh, editor Jan Worth Nelson and we'll talk a little bit more about stuff at uh, the state level but we'll also talk about some things that are in the national headlines plus we still have our X-Files coming up and they're they're getting harder and harder to tell the difference (laughs) but we'll be back with uh, the second half of Armchair Politics right after this so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse. We will return. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 